Just like that We're back On a Tuesday But it's Monday Night Live Let's get it I see no changes Wake up in the morning and I ask myself It's like worth living, should I blast myself? I'm tired of being born, even worse, I'm black My stomach hurts, so I'm looking for a purse to snatch Cops give a damn about a need, bro Pull a trigger, kill a nigga, he's a bro. Get it back to the kids who the hell Welcome back, everybody This is She and I I am your host, B-Love And like always, I have my very special host with me India Marie India Marie and B Love, the husband and wife duo you didn't know you need, but you got us and we are here to stay. And this time, we're doing it on a Monday. <laughs> Give it up one time, Monday Night Live. <laughs> so listen, um, this is going to be a different type of episode. I'm not even going to hold you guys up that long. I'm going to get straight to it. This episode is all about Black Lives Matter. And we wanted to be sure that you guys knew what was going on and how we could um, further the conversation. So I talked to India early and I said, India, we need to have somebody on that's a little bit more versed than us. Yeah, I want to have somebody on that's really doing the work. So I found somebody. And not only did I found somebody, I found the somebody. So... We have a special guest tonight, and her name is Miss Janisha Harris. Harris. Mm-hmm. And, and I had gave you something I want you to do. Oh, I didn't know. There was your cue. <laughs> listen, cues be all off. No. I, we, we have pre-production, too. So we're about to have Miss Janisha on, but um, I'm going to just read. India's going to just read to you a little something about her, and then we're going to get started real quick. So Miss Janisha Harris serves as the Generational Progress Re- Reductive I can't talk today. Reproductive Justice Ambassador, a HBCU White House All-Star Ambassador, an Ignite National Fellow, the founder of Reading for Liberation, co-founder and president of the National Black Action Committee, and the founder of the Barbara J. Harris Scholarship. My homegirl had done everything. Yes. She had done it all. But she I only involved. She, Go she's ahead. on the she's on the front lines and <clears throat> here she is right here. <laughs> yeah, see? see what I mean? Hey, how are you? Um, Say it again. I said it's so good to virtually meet you guys. Man, listen. I know. It's a pleasure. I know. Yes. Shout out to my sis from Orange Mouth. <laughs> like, right. Yes. Yeah. Y'all know, y'all know that meme that's like no one and then you say what you say? Yes. So I'm like, no one, me, I'm from Orange Mount. Like, I, I'm always letting people know that I'm from Orange <laughs> Oh, always. They're like, you from Memphis? What part? Mount? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, see, you see what I mean? So, like, listen, I'm going to keep it real with y'all, too. It's something about um, a lady from Memphis that always does the right damn thing. Like, I appreciate every Orange lady damn. from Memphis. Memphis women are unmatched. Like, sure. we're, we're special. In, a, in an amazing way. Hey, y'all. See? Oh, are they speaking? Yeah, a lot yeah. of people are speaking. But listen, Janisha, you know, I told you um, 
And we talked earlier. I said, I wanted to have you on. I'll keep it real. Y'all were probably, where did I find you? So I was looking for somebody to come on and speak to this important topic. And I was um, combing through and I saw the flyer for the rally and um, for the protest downtown Nashville. And your name was on it. And I was like, man, I have to meet this person in real life, virtually. I just have to be yeah. involved with this person. So then when I reached out, like you were, you welcomed me with open arms. You know what I'm saying? And that was dope to me. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate yeah. that. I appreciate so much. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And um, <clears throat> I was gonna say, so uh, you want to just go ahead and jump into it, right? Go ahead. I thought you were gonna say something. I'm not gonna hold you up now. Okay. You got something to say? Say it, sister. So you are so heavily involved in activism, but you're also very young. So <laughs> oh, so old. Yes. <laughs> Bear <laughs> told me that you are 23. Yes, and. My life at 23 was very different. <laughs> so yeah. I want to know what got you into activism. What? I think we should all be passionate about this fight. But Hell yeah. What has made you so passionate about this fight at such a young age? Um, I think a lot of the issues hit home at a young age. Yeah. Um, poverty gun violence, the lack of health care, the lack of mental health care. Um, so a lot of the issues that I fight for came to my front door at a very young age. So mm-hmm. I think that's why I'm just so committed to it at this young age. Um, and also I've had some experiences. Um, I had an internship in San Diego for nice. a semester and I was working there. I was the only black girl on the, on the entire campaign team. And this white guy saw um, this flyer that the White House posted of us. So I was an ambassador for the White House under Obama's last, say, like, four to five months in office. Dope. And they flyers, and I put it on the wallpaper of my computer. And so when I opened my laptop for the day, he saw it, and basically he said something really, really disrespectful that incorporated the N-word. And I just, that was like a turning point for me. Mm. Um, so yeah, after that, my life literally changed. I, I dropped all things policy and I went into all things activism because the two are very different. Mm-hmm. Right. I saw you You did a hell of a job explaining the difference on your website, too. So if y'all don't know, um, Janisha has a website you can go to and you can read a hell of a lot more about it. But um, you did a great job explaining that. Yeah. Well, because I, I did read that you no longer identify with the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. so um I'll jump into that a little bit. So I was elected as the vice president of the Tennessee Young Democrats. And so within the Tennessee Young Democrats, um, I was elected the ex officio for the Tennessee Democratic Party. So I had a I had a statewide position within the Young Democrats and then a statewide position within the actual Tennessee Democratic Party. Um, And so I'll say this. Malcolm X, you know, says that we cannot work within the system as revolutionaries. We have to work towards dismantling the system. And I realized I was doing a disservice to my activism by being involved with an organization like that um, because I was, I mean, I'm an activist, of course, but I was working within the system. And I don't believe that you can make change within the system. I think you have to totally dismantle it. 
I would agree. Yeah. I would tend to agree. <laughs> nah, more times than not. And also, with with all that being said, uh, I got to get straight into it. What was it like being on the front line this past weekend? Like you were out there, megaphone, damn near megaphone, bigger than your head, but you were out there <laughs> speaking loud, speaking loud and speaking proud. Um, I, I wanted to run out there with you, but I had to stay at home, yeah. unfortunately. Um, obviously that wasn't my first time being on the, the quote unquote front line, but it was, it was an experience. It was over 6,000 people at their protest. Um, I honestly, I had not prepared a speech. I did not know what I was going to say. Um, I heard some all lives matter comments, which is why I started, you know, the speech, the way I started it. Um, and I just said, I don't want to hear that all lives matter when all lives are not being killed. Mm. Um, me and the mayor had words. Me and, you know, some senators had words. Um, they didn't like it, but, you know, who cares? But listen, so, it is what it is. So, like, let's, let's start right there real fast. I, I want you, and we can all jump in and do it, too. Like, I want to explain why it's so important not to undercut Black Lives Matter with All Lives Matter. Because people tend to do that a lot. Um, for example, and I'll put myself out there, um, at my job, we had a, com- a conversation today about things that should go out in an internal communication. And I started the conversation off by saying, listen, if we do this, I want to be real concise and clear that this is a black lives issue. So I want to talk to you about that. Like how, why, why, how important is that to make sure that let it be known that black lives matter and don't come to me with the all lives matter stuff right now. Yeah. It's, it's very important because it's a deflection. Um, all lives matter is a deflection. Blue lives matter. It's a deflection. Um, and it takes away from the responsibility of why Black Lives Matter. Um, we're not just saying Black Lives Matter for no reason. Um, it was created, the term was created for a reason. Um, so, like I said before, I don't want to hear that all lives matter when all lives are not being killed. Um, Brianna, George Floyd, mm-hmm. Tamir Rice, Sandra Bland, Trayvon Martin, um, Flano Castile, and the, the, the list goes on and right. on. All those people are Black, yep. you know? Um, so we can talk about all lives matter. We can even talk about brown lives and even, you know, blue lives. But right now we're talking about the black ones. So I definitely feel like it's a deflection from black lives. And it takes away the responsibility from the quote unquote enemy of who is oppressing the the, the black lives. Who, lives. So, yeah, most definitely, most definitely. You about to say something. Go ahead. No, it, it tied into it. Well, because sometimes before this week, it was, I felt like there was like two sides to like the All Lives Matter people. It was like the white folks that just truly did not get it and the PC black folks. And I think that annoyed me the most. <laughs> you know, there are black people that just want peace and don't believe in the riots and the protesting and they just want to spread love and while that's great we've been doing that for so long that it is not working and so at this point I think that what's happening in this world is necessary I think it's so necessary um I think people if you look at my tweets, anybody who's who follow me on on social media, they'll tell you that I always say I'm ready for a revolution Haitian style. Don't call me until we have a revolution Haitian style. And I probably tweet that maybe 
maybe once every couple of days. Mm. And I feel like this is the beginning of a revolution, Haitian. So I won't go into the the history um, of the Haitian revolution. You guys can do that on your own. But like, these are not riots. These are uprisings. These are rebellions. People are tired. And we've literally tried everything. You know, we've run for public office. We've gone to college. We've gotten all the degrees. We've done literally everything and nothing is working. So we basically, we have to do what we have to do. And um, I personally feel like you have to speak to your oppressors in the language that they understand. So they don't understand peace. So we're not going to come in peace. Mm -hmm. So if they understand other things, then we're going to bring other things. Um, so, yeah. And well, it's, it's funny you say that, too. I was going to say, bring up the... Um... <clears throat> The lady, what, Tamika what's her name? Mallory. We talked, Tamika Mallory. <laughs> we talked about this. Uh, me and Janisha. Janisha and I talked about Tamika Mallory. When I, when I first called Janisha, I said, man, listen, you are the Mid-South, particularly Nashville's Tamika Mallory. I said, listen, you. I want to follow you right now. Let me know where you're going, and I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow Janisha wherever she needs to be followed. I'm, I'm down. You know yeah. what I mean? So everything you stood for, everything you said up until this point, I told you on the phone, like, I've been with you. Like, I, I, I want to know more. And I even ask you one of the questions that I'm going to ask, and we can just get to it now. Where can people learn more about um, how to become more involved? What organizations, who should they get behind? Who should they look to? Because some people yeah. just don't know if they're following the right person. You could be following yeah. a blind witness. You know what I mean? You don't know. Like, people don't really don't know who to follow out there. And with that being said, um, I'm in this group me, um, Black Nashville, Black Nashville professionals or whatever. And in this group me, somebody posted the flyer up, and this one person had a real negative comment to say about it. You know, white people were organizing it. This is all about white people. Like, don't go to this rally. This, that, and the third. But then you got somebody like you out in the rally, and I, I'm, I'm looking at that comment and then talking to you like that's a hundred percent not true. Mm -hmm. So right. I, so I guess my question would be like, how do more people, uh, where can we be um, become more involved? Right. So I have some notes. Um, actually, I have a lot of notes for today's podcast. Do but, it. Uh, I have a list of organizations that people can plug into um, locally, statewide and nationally. Nice. Um, so locally, um, organizations like Black Lives Matter Nashville, um, Southerners on New Grounds, Gideon's Army, the Nashville People's Budget Coalition, Nashville Education, I'm sorry, Nashville Economic Justice Alliance, the Brothers Roundtable, and Free Hearts. Mm -hmm. um, so these are all organizations specifically in Nashville. You can go to their websites. Most of them have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook that you can go to. Um, you can donate, you can volunteer, you can become a member. I know specifically Gideon's Army are looking for um new members to, you know, have in the organization. Um, this is specifically for Nashville. These are also some statewide organizations too. And nationally, um, the Nash, the national bill fund movement for black lives, um, and for coordinated action. Now I think okay. that's my move for black lives for coordinated action. And these are basically organizations who are doing organizing work on prison, prison reform, abolition, um, abolition work and all things just organizing within the community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. All right. Cool. Perfect. Thank you for that. I need that. I'm going to need you to send me that too so I can post it up and let everybody yeah. know. They do a lot of community service, um, mutual aid, like I said, abolition work, 
um, prison reform, and more recently, like Gideon's Army, they were really, really boots on the ground when the the um, tornado hit, mm. and they provided so many different resources for people all over the city. Um, so those are some great organizations. Um, if you can't donate, volunteer. If you can't volunteer, um, go to their website and just learn more. I think learning more is the first step. For sure. Most definitely. Yeah. So you are about it. Like you are in the front. <laughs> and when you're in the front, sometimes there are consequences to being in the front. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about that. Um, there are, I know that there are, like over this past week or weekend, I've seen a lot of lists floating around. If you choose to go protest, this is what you should be doing. This is These are yeah. the protocols. This is what you should be doing. What did you do? Because I know that you've gotten into a little bit of legal trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trouble, we call it, you know. Right. But I guess I'm just trying to see, if for the people that want to go out and do those things in protest from your experience, what do they need to prepare for? Yeah. If they're I trying to be on the front lines. Yeah. I think, well, first let me say, um, there's this obsession with being on the front line mm. um, that people either just want the spotlight or they just think they have to be on the front line and they actually don't. There is a role for every black person in this movement. Um, mm. In the 60s, you had Marshall, he was, you know, in the, the Supreme Court. You had Do Dr. King, you know, nego negotiating legislation with, you know, President Johnson, advocating for, you know, sanitation workers, doing the, the legislative piece. Then you had Malcolm X awakening people with the knowledge, with the speech, with the speeches. Um, so there was a role for every person in that movement. And that reflects to now. We, we need people on the front lines. We pe need people in the inside. We need people on the phones when it's time to, you know, get arrested. We need people on all fronts. Um, I lost, I lost the, the, the question. What was the question again? I'm sorry. So what should you be prepared for by being on the front line? <laughs> I think you should always be prepared to be arrested. Um, and I say that because the law is not... For us, mm -hmm. uh, excuse me, the law isn't for us, and you can be completely innocent and still be arrested for literally nothing. Um, I think specifically for the front lines, being arrested, um, being hurt, being threatened, and even unfortunately, you know, death. We look at places like Ferguson and we see that over 10 people, 10 activists have been murdered and lynched, literally lynched with a rope around their neck, um, like the last year, super recent for their activism. So that is a part of the consequences that you have to face. Yeah. Um, I think for me, I'm willing to give my life for this. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't really think about it in a negative way. Um, because I feel like this is something that I'm called to do. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, being on the front lines is hard. It's really, really hard. Um, people, I just posted a picture with uh, the new Black Panther Party 
um, you know, protecting me. And they come with me everywhere I go um, when I'm speaking. And it's, it's not for show. It's not to be cute. But people have literally um, threatened my life. Um, white supremacist organizations, the KKK more recently, um, literal attempts on my life. Um, I've had to move from my, my, you know, previous place into a, a more secure place. Um, I definitely have to move a little, a little different just in my everyday life. It's certain things that I don't do. Um, I can't just, you know, walk out of my house, you know, have right. to check in with my people first. And definitely. it's a lot, you know, nobody should have to live that way because they want to speak out. So it's definitely, it's a hard life. I will be honest. It's a very hard life, but I think it's worth it when I look at the potential progress that, you know, we can make from me speaking out. So. And it's exactly why I want to have you on. We wanted to have you on because somebody like you who who's put aside, you had a dope quote on your page um, about the things you've given up and you said something like, and I'm not going to mess the quote up, but you said something about like, um, um, being an activist is an unpaid job, but you love it. You wouldn't have it any other way because that's basically what you're called to do. Now, with that being said, somebody did put a question in here and they said, mm-hmm. can you elaborate on the Black Panthers in Nashville? Mm-hmm. Somebody asked that question, so yeah. I'm asking that to you. The Black Panther Party um, was originated in the 60s um, in light of Malcolm X's assassination. Um, that is completely different from the new Black Panther Party. So the Black Panther Party um, is the original, and then you have the new Black Panther Party that basically picked back up the work of the original Black Panther Party after they kind of, you know, faded away. Right. Um, and they do a lot of um, self-defense classes. They do... Um, obviously they're with me all the time. So they, you know, protect our leaders here in Nashville, here in the state. Um, they do a, a lot of community service, a lot of work, you know, for the black community. So that's definitely another organization to plug into. Nice, nice, nice. Well, I got to ask this question too. Um, just go, kind of in present day, I have to ask you this. I didn't even ask you this. When you saw the video, um, of George Floyd getting murdered by the police. Like, what was your initial reaction to that? I try not to watch those. I'll be honest. Me too. Uh, I'm with you. Yeah, I can't watch this shit. Yeah, I try not to watch those. Even, like, when you just said it, you know, flashbacks just came. Um, I think it's just disgusting. It brings a lot of rage within me. And I'm also on a spiritual journey as well, so... (laughs) I have to really meditate and reflect because I'll be honest, um, and I don't really do respectability politics, so I'll be very blunt when I say this, but it brings a lot of violence within me. Like, you know, they kill us. Like, I want to inflict harm sometimes, too. I- I'm, just, I'm just being 100%. Hey, sister, speak on it. Um, I am... And let me make a disclaimer because people love to write articles and twist my words. Um, I am not a proponent. I do not support violence in any way, but I do support self-defense. But it just, it, it brings a lot of rage. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. And um, as soon as I saw it, I thought about a few things. I thought about the first thing I thought about was like, you see, I got mad. I got angry. Um, I thought about like, Hey, why? And, and I understand looking back on it, but why are we recording and why aren't we helping almost? Like, I wanted to see some action. And the guys did a hell of a job restraining themselves, so I commend them for that. But sometimes I want 
people to just stop, like try to stop, like be like come back to police. But I know that can't happen because there'll be more people killed at that yeah. situation. So I understand why not. But then after that, I got to think like, damn, you know what I'm saying? Um, white people don't have to worry about this. When I drive in my car, if I get pulled over, I don't white people, y'all don't worry about a speeding ticket. It's the only thing you may have to worry about. If I get pulled over in my car, I got to worry about if I'm going to make it home to my wife and my kid or not, if I'm going to make it home to my mom or not. So that's the big difference that people don't kind of realize their sons can get pulled over. Their husbands can get pulled over. Their boyfriends can get pulled over. And they, the only thing they have to worry about is, damn, Mr. Police, man, I'm sorry. Like, I just, I'm just trying to make it home before curfew or something. I get pulled over. I'm getting pulled out of the car, beat on, talk bad too. So a speeding ticket is not just a speeding ticket to me. A speeding ticket can cost me my life. Ain't that fucked up to say? A speeding ticket can cost me my whole life. So that's something big. So every time I see something like that, it really bothers me. You know what I mean? That um, I'm going. I'm kind of doubling back down. It really bothers me about the about the white lives matter coming for that for that main reason because a speeding ticket to me is just not a speeding ticket anymore where it used to be. You know what I'm saying? So, I don't think it's ever my first time getting pulled over by the police. I was terrified. Like my heart was literally like beating through my chest because you just, you literally don't know. What's going to happen? Right. And no one should have to live like that. Bingo. You nailed it. And it's a shame yeah. that we do. You know what I'm saying? So um, another thing that's it's been going on, too, that we can talk about. A lot of people don't know about it. But um, I, I just kind of want to talk about the looting a little bit. A lot of people see the looting out there and they see what's going on. They're like, oh, damn. Like, I thought it was all about a peaceful protest. I thought this didn't thorough. I'm going to say one thing. Um when there was a peaceful protest brought to you in part by Colin Kaepernick, Neil, and it, a lot more people, but kneeling down, it got flipped. It got turned into something else. It got turned into, oh, he's disrespecting the flag. Oh, he's disrespecting the military. Oh, he just wants his job. And that was a peaceful protest. Now, at this point in time, we went from peaceful, and now look what's happening. But it's a direct reflection from racism. Let's just keep it a buck right now. Racism has brought about the looting. Racism has brought about the riot. It's not the looting and the pro. No, no, no. It's the underlying part is racism. So we got to focus on that, really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just find that so funny. Isn't it hilarious that the looters are, acu are accusing us of looting? When you look at any museum that you walk into, those people didn't ask for those artifacts. They took them. They stole them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I just think that that is, is just is mind-blowing and really hypocritical um, because racist white people are the biggest looters throughout history. Um, I struggle with having an opinion with this because when you, when you first look at it, it's like, okay, they're going to Gucci and like Dior and Target um, looting, which doesn't look the best, but I will not tell a grieving people how to grieve. Mm -hmm. I just won't do that. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, most of these corporations don't care about black people. Um, and, organizations, not organizations, but corporations like Gucci have shown us that. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really have a <laughs> like, comment on that because it's like, who cares? You yeah. know, 
Yeah, I mean, you and, know, um, a lot of people have been saying it best. These companies have, argument we can't get George Floyd back. There it is. Yeah. I hit it on their heads, but I was getting to that. Like these companies have insurance. They can they can recoup everything that they lost. We can't recoup another black life. We can't afford to lose another black life. Isn't it sad that the outrage is more profound because of the of the looting and not the murdering? Yeah. People are more upset about looting than a literal life being taken. Yeah. And I keep seeing I've unfriended so many white people on Facebook <laughs> this week because they're all like, you can be upset, but you don't have to loot. And it's like you literally do not know our struggles. Those people are looting. Granted, no, they don't have to loot the Gucci store. But what I know that they're going to do with those things is they're going to sell them <laughs> because they already have the shorthand at life. Right. We have a hard time finding good jobs. We we have a hard time getting money, period. Because of the setbacks that are already given to us. I mean, systemic racism is real. And then you cut us a $1,200 check that's gone in one day. You force yep. us to choose between paying rent or buying groceries or keeping the lights on. Mm-hmm. And you wondering why the looting is happening. Happening. I, and so, and that, I think that's what's frustrating to me because I don't know why it's so confusing. <laughs> right. It's not that hard to understand. It's, I just don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. Me, I mean, she hit it on, that's all I was going to say. You, you gave me $1,200 to live and now this is like the perfect storm for, hey, I've been out of work for like two or three months. I can't get a job. And the job I had was barely making me ends meet. But now that I lost that job that I was barely making ends meet on, end meet on I got to find another way. You know what I'm saying? It's, it sucks to say that. But God, is true. In the Gucci store, you hit it dead on the head. Like, right. uh, not the best look. Killer Mike had a phenomenal comment. Like, all this stuff is burning down. It's not good. I don't agree with it. It's not a smart move. But... We need to sit back and get organized, strategized, and then mobilized. And that's where we are right now. Um, where, I kind of mentioned this earlier, but like what's next? What, what happens after the protest? What happens after all of this is done? Because the protest, the rally in Nashville, cool, great. Like, hell yeah. We got everybody fired up. What do we do from here? Like, where do we go? What's next? I'm ready to run with you, but I don't know where we're running to. What are we asking for? Yes. Um, I think it's important to distinguish that all Black people do not want the same things. We do not want the same agenda. We oftentimes have different agendas. Um, And I think it's important to establish that first. um, Because if not, you'll have different people fighting for different things. And we're all looking at each other crazy like, well, what are we doing? Mm. Uh, I think it's it's good to establish that first. I know in Nashville, we are organizing something of that nature um, to figure out what is the Black agenda, a concise Black agenda that, you know, people who d- do differ can't agree on. Um, but I've made it my business to do, um, like, some interviews and podcasts this week to talk about what next steps look like. Um, I think I know protests are so essential. Um, 
anybody throughout history, any group of people um, who have gotten their freedom have utilized protest in some form of fashion. Protest amplifies our message. Without the protest, you don't know what we're advocating for. You don't know why we're upset. And it's, it's just super, super important. Um, but I think we fail at the follow-up. Yes. Um, which is why a lot of people are kind of hesitant to um, to go to protests. Like, sometimes protests are a screaming match at the police. You know, people, and, and I get that too, because people need to release that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have to be productive. So um, I, I do have to make that known. Protests are essential, um, despite you know, unpopular opinion. But I think next steps would be plugging into organizations, whether that's funding, donating, volunteering, becoming a member. Um, I listed some of the um, organizations earlier. I don't know if you, if I can send you that list so that you can share it with your followers and your people. Most definitely. Yeah, or people who are tuning in now. Uh, but yeah, definitely plugging into organizations. Um, a lot of people are uh, being awakened to prison reform and um, abolition work, which is basically the dismantling of the systems um, that we currently operate under. So, for example, people scream, you know, fuck 12 all the time. People right. want to answer the police force. But what does that look like? How can we operate in this city, in this state, in in America without a police force. Gideon's Army is a perfect example of that. Gideon's Army is is a a grassroots organization here in Nashville, and they do what they call, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Crisis intervention. So if someone um, is shot in North Nashville, they would be one of the first people to come well, they will first be called, they will come and they will basically de-escalate a situation before retaliation happens. Mm. And so that's basically what the role of the police force is supposed to be. <laughs> um, be trained enough to de-escalate situations and not escalate them. Um, and they have people on the ground, um, all in North Nashville. The, the area that they um, specifically focus on is North Nashville. So everybody in North Nashville knows about Gideon's Army. They know them by name. So if something happens, they will call them and, and be like, okay, this happened. They, they will literally come at like 2 in the morning, mm. 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, just like the police. Right. Um, that's a great example of a replacement for the police force. Mm-hmm. Um prison reform we think about rehabilitation prison should be a form of of rehab it should be a place where people who are broken who commit quote-unquote crimes can come and get the help that they need um so those are just two examples of what um dismantling um prisons look like that's an example of what dismantling the police force looks like um because a lot of people talk about you know abolition abolition but what is that realistically look like Gideon's army is a perfect example of that. Um, you can find them. I don't know their website by heart. I can um, look it up as we talk, but they sure. are, they're probably one of the most important organizations on this list. Mm, okay. It's, it's crazy. Cause I didn't find out about Gideon's army until the tornadoes mm-hmm. ripped through. Yeah. Had no idea about it, but when I found out about it, that's who <laughs> I donated to. <laughs> Most definitely. We both, yeah. So, like, th- thank you for that. Yeah. 
it was it was a hell of a find. You know what I mean? So like that was great, and that, and that's the kind of stuff I'm looking for. I guess that's the kind of things that that I want to see more of because. Um, I agree. Protests are so necessary, um, whether it be peaceful or not. Um, they're still necessary um, to have a protest. We, we would all prefer them to be peaceful, to bring light to what's going on. But you can't, like you mentioned earlier, you can't tell me how to grieve. You can't tell yeah. the grieving people how to grieve. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I just agree with that 100%. 100%. And before all of the, the tangible action items, I would say reading. Um, I have a, a super long um, reading list that I want to share, but basically... I was going to ask that, like reading, uh, what we talked yeah. about this, reading speeches, like what important speeches, who to look, documentaries. I want people to go out here and learn why it's important to protest. Mm-hmm. Um you need to know your history and what's going on before you just run out there and start screaming, um, like you said, Black Lives Matter and all. Like, at least know, screaming, screaming to the top of your lungs, but also yeah. know what you're asking for, know where right. you came from. Know what you're fighting I for. Before we have a political and physical revolution, we have to have an intellectual evolution first. And what I mean by that is before we do the tangible work, um, the tangible action items, the boots on the ground organizing work, we have to be knowledgeable about the issues and how they work. Um, you can't work on a problem if you don't know how it, it functions. Mm. Um, so I think a lot of times people are just really excited, you know, to to get, you know, involved and to, to be active. But we have to know how these problems work. These are 400 years plus of layered, multifaceted issues that are so complex. And it won't take a one solution fix to fix them. Um, so we have to be knowledgeable about how these issues work. How does capitalism work? How how did the police force um um, come about. A lot of people don't know that when slavery ended, the same year is that the the police force, um, was, and that's not by coincidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we have to learn how these issues and problems operate before we can actually do the work around them. So I have a, a book list for abolition work specifically. Okay. Uh, or and I, I have a super long list that I'll share, but I won't list them all. Um, Are Prisons Obsolete by Angela Davis, um, Texas Tough, The Rise of America's Prison Empire, Robert Parkinson, Chained in Silence, Black Women in Convict Labor in the New South, Hmm. Uh, Talitha L. LaForia, Slavery by Another Name, Douglas Blackman, um, Writing on the Wall, uh, jailhouse lawyers, freedom, forcing freedom, understanding misincarceration, occupied territory. Um, those are specifically books for abolition work. So if you are interested in all things abolition, abolishing the systems that we currently operate, those are some great reads. Um, now, general books, a lot of people ask me, <laughs> well, I don't know anything about history. I yeah. want to learn. What are some general books? We'll, we'll um, y'all will post all the book lists to the podcast page. Almost definitely. We'll, we'll make this... sure that y'all get the books. Okay, so perfect. go ahead. So if you are, where do we go from here? Chaos or community? Dr. King, how Europe um, underdeveloped Africa, the miseducation of the Negro, super super important. Um, the New Jim Crow, Michelle Alexander, Power Nomics. Um, developmental psychology of the black child. That's super important. Nice. Post 
Slave Syndrome by Dr. Joy DeGruy. Um, that's super important because it talks about um, how, you know, one day four million black people, black slaves were enslaved. I'm trying to stop saying slaves. Um, I use the term enslaved now because it it puts the responsibility on the oppressors and not us. Um, so mm. I had to catch my moment. So I like them. I'm gonna start saying enslaved. I need to yeah. put that in my yeah. Come on now, give me. See, I need stuff like that for me. Yeah, it takes the responsibility off of us and puts it on the oppressors. Um, so enslaved. Um, so it talks about how enslaved people went from you know, being enslaved to literally one day waking up and being free and seeing, you know, their children be raped and their mothers be raped and lynched and killed and all of these sorts of things and how people expect us to just function in society as normal people and we did not go through normal things. Right. And so it talks about post-traumatic slave syndrome and how we, we carry that in our ancestral DNA to this day. Um, and it looks different. We don't really realize it until it happens. Um, for example, well, in my opinion, um, quote unquote, whoopings, like, you know, that's mm. a, a, a slave tactic. Um, it, yeah, it's a slave tactic. Um, that's just one of the things that kind of incorporate the, the post-traumatic slave syndrome, um, that we endure now that we don't even know about. So that's a, a great, great book. I just finished that book for like the third time. Revolutionary Suicide, um, Freedom is a Constant Struggle is a really, really good one. It talks about the um, the comparisons of the Palestinian people. And I actually spent some time in Israel and Palestine. But it talks about the struggles that Palestinians um, face under Israeli occupation mm. and correlates that between us and Black people here on the, under the occupation of America. So that's a really good book. Um, Ready for Revolution, Stokely Carmichael, Race Matters, The Willie Lynch Letter, um, and The Souls of Black Folk by W.E.B. Du Bois. That's a great one. Also, um, I have to say this, the autobio of Malcolm X, the autobio of Ada, um, The World Before, um, How to Eat to Live, The Honorable Elijah Muhammad, Message, message to the Black Man, um, mm-hmm. The Philosophy and Opinions of Marcus Garvey, um, the final speeches of Malcolm X, which is really good. And um, any books by Michael Eric Dyson are really good. And I'm missing one more. My friend actually just bought me this book, um, The Myth of Black Black Capitalism. Okay. Yeah, those are some general reads. Nice. Well, listen, you got to send me all that because I'm reposting. The yeah, message is going crazy. Like, yeah. put the book list out. Put the book list yeah. out. Most definitely. Oh. I'm going to put your picture on there. It's going to look real good. It's going to be all about you and your <laughs> book list. This is Janisha's book list of abolition oh. work. And I, I, we appreciate it. I, so, I do, go ahead. My I was, was going to ask. So someone asked, what are your thoughts on the way integration changed us as a people? <laughs> Your your um to, your um listeners are a little controversial. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love that question. Um, I think listen, I, I'm a a very controversial person, so you know I, I feel safe in this space. Um, to be honest, but I think the integration did more harm than good. Um, but into integration or segregation, excuse me. It's not 
realistic when you think about humanity. Like God did not create us to be separate from white people and other people of color. Um, that's just how the world and nature is designed. It's, it's not supposed to be that way. But um, we have to operate with what we are given. So with that being said, I do think that integration did more harm than good. Um, but there are pros and cons to that statement. So, yeah. I like that. That was a hell of a question. I don't know who wrote that. Who wrote that question? That was a hell of a question. <laughs> I was about to go in a whole other direction because you mentioned a couple of books about um about education and kids or whatever. And I know you are studying pediatric um psychology. Am I right? Did I say that right? Yeah. So I'm a biology, psychology double major. I have a minor in political science. Bingo. So I wanted to talk about um this is a matter of fact, I got a two-fold question. Um tying in the pediatric psychology and also what's going on with mental health right now um how do you blend the two like how do you mix it all together and make it better for our people because i know that's what you're trying to do you're trying to right. decide what's going on right now and also um pediatric pediatric psychology and, and put that together yeah so a lot of people are so surprised when i tell them my major because i right. do so did in policy and activism um but initially, I want to do pediatric psychology, um, and I chose psychology because I just have a, a great love for, for all things mental health. And so the reason why I've read Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome um, literally for the third time by Dr. Joy D. Bruce because I believe that a lot of our ancestral trauma can be solved if we focus on it at an early age. But the twist to that is... Once we recognize, once we have the knowledge to then take our children to get this, you know, treatment that they need, it's like, how do we pay for it? And mm. so that's where the mental health care policy reform comes in, in into, into, into my world. Um, because if you don't, you know, have the resources, how do you get the treatment? And most, you know, health care coverage policies do not include mental health care coverage within them. Um, so that's why therapy is so expensive. That's why, you know, the sessions are so expensive, 200 and plus dollars, you know, pers <laughs> I I personally, I personally, um, per, you know, therapy session, How much? over a hundred. I got yeah. something to say real fast. Like my, my therapist gives me a good deal. Um, <laughs> yeah, she gives me a good deal, but, um, but yeah, I think we can, we can start to begin healing as a people if we attack it at the adolescent's age instead of, you know, trying to repair broken men at 45 years old, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, oh, I was going to say, I got family members that ain't going to ever change. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, it's And I think that's a, a quote by Frederick Douglass, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I forgot the quote. I'm going to look for it. But it's 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 much harder to repair broken men mm -hmm. as opposed to putting that, that, that knowledge and those resources into the youth. Mm. But yeah. Yeah. And I, I, one of my dreams is to have um, therapy centers located all throughout Orange Mound, all throughout North Memphis, all throughout the hoods of all hoods in the United States. Um, for She's free. so excited. She's so excited right now. Well, um, because I, I love it. <laughs> that's a total dream of mine. And you know, we think about people in the military, you know, they, they go to the war, they come back, um, they have 
post-traumatic um, stress syndrome, PTSD. The government gives them, you know, mutual aid for, you know, their illness. Mm-hmm. But where are the therapy centers for enslaved people? Where are the therapy centers for, you know, people who watch their brothers and sisters be murdered literally on camera? You know, people in the military, they go across across the seas and see, you know, people be murdered. They actually have to do that themselves. They come back, they get the resources. But we see our people get killed every day. But where are the therapy centers for us? I don't see them. So, you know, I think that's that's why well, I know that that's, you know, a dream of mine to have those resources allocated to people for free. Everybody posting their quote and now, I see it. And we didn't have to pay for something that was inflicted on us. Bingo. I, I didn't have to pay for therapy. You know, I shouldn't have to pay to... I think it's so crazy how we have to pay to get interest into plantations, like... <laughs> man, tell me about it. Like, and then... Oh, man, I'm gonna say something. I, I, I gotta say this. Like, I would never want it. Like, when we got married, yeah. a pl- one of oh, those... To build strong children than to repair broken men. There it is. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to have, like, when we got married, our wedding at one of those plantation homes. If, no. if you do it, that's good for you. But I would never. If my son gets old, like, bro, I want to have my wedding, man. You cannot have your wedding on anybody's plantation home, farm. I don't give a damn, bro. No, this is not going to happen. So I agree no. with you tenfold. I don't even want to visit the museums. I don't want to do none of that stuff. It mm-hmm. ain't for me. Right? It's not for me. It's funny you say that about therapy. I got to tell a quick, funny story. So she, some of y'all already heard this story, but I got to tell it again. She wanted to go to couples therapy. Man, they charged me, tried to charge me $180 a session. I damn near fainted. I said, oh my God, no. Went one time, didn't go back. (laughs) Didn't go back. But I do go to therapy now. I pay $25 because it's in my insurance. Look at that. See, she changed me. Good old orange mound woman. Good old mound woman. I mean, we're technically paying more than that because I go to therapy by myself and he go to therapy by him by himself. But it damn so. sure ain't 180. <laughs> it's definitely not $180 a pop. I can tell you that. So I love that so much. That just brought so much joy to me. I love that so much. Yeah, she got me going to therapy. My homeboy JP. Shout out to JP one time. I know you're listening right now, homie. Indy gets mad because I like my therapist. She gets <laughs> upset. Now, I have some more questions, too. I'm just looking at my notes. Ah, this is a big one. Now, I saw you tweet, and I don't want to get any any more controversy, but I do. Um, How can or where do our white allies find a place place to fit in in the revolution? (laughs) Is there a place for them? If you don't know who my favorite leader is, look at my Instagram. I do. Because he's all over it. Can you take a guess? Who, your favorite speaker, you said? My favorite leader is just judging by my Instagram. Oh, I would say either Malcolm X or um, Fred Hampton. Oh, but yeah. See? Yeah, Malcolm is definitely number one. Um, Okay, so if you know anything about Malcolm X, you know that he went from, you know, Malcolm Little to Detroit Red Red. to um, Malcolm X to El Hodge. Um, Malik El Shabazz. Um, I I do not know where I am in my evolution um, with that question. Sometimes I'm like, you know, Malcolm X post prison, where he's like, white people have absolutely no place in the movement. Sometimes I'm like, 
Malcolm X post-Mecca, when he returned back from Mecca, and I'm like, okay, well, white people, and this is a quote from Malcolm X, Mal- uh, I mean, yeah, Malcolm X, people, white people can help us, but they can't join us. Mm. But in light of the recent events, I don't want politicians, I don't want coons, and I don't want white people at protests. That's just how I feel right now. Mm-hmm. Um, someone, a white quote-unquote ally posted something on Facebook and it, you know, it got back to a lot of people and it, it basically was condemning some black leaders and this is supposed to be the whitest of the whitest ally of an ally. Um, super liberal and everything. And I'm thinking in my head like, okay, this is why we don't need white allies. Um, I, I personally feel like they will fail us every time because although intentions may be good, they do not know what it is like to be black ever. Mm. It's no book you can read. It's no video that you can watch for you to know the extent of how it feels to be black. And that's important because that's, that's so important because a lot of our emotions are tied into us being black. Mm-hmm. Like at up and I'm just like, what challenges do I have to face today because I'm a black woman? Listen, yeah. that's why I played the song yeah. in the beginning. Pox City Best. Like and, I wake and, up and I feel like this. When I'm exhausted, I can't take my skin off. But when they're exhausted, they can go to sleep white. But we can't. <laughs> so I feel like when things get hard, you don't have that melanin to lean on. Mm. Um, when things get hard, you don't have your blackness to lay in, you know, um, b- because you're not you're not black. So it's like when things get rough as a white ally, when things get tough, when there's certain things that you don't like and you don't want to be silent. What do you lean on? You're not black. You don't have melanin. Like, what do you lean on? So that's where the failure comes into play. Um, and it may not be personal. It may just be, you know, this is my experience as a white person. Um, but they will never understand. Um, Mm. I personally feel like this movement has to be for us, by us. And I'm a little paranoid too. So I I have my thoughts. Janisha, I'm going to cut you off right here. Stick around. Because we only got 30 seconds remaining. Instagram hating on us. So I'm going to end it. And Mallory, I love that comment, Mallory. I do like that. Mallory We're going to start it over. And so y'all come back. So I'm about to end it now and then everybody come back. Okay, cool. All right. And just like that, we're back. So let's get back to it, Janisha. Yeah, we're back. So yeah, so what we were just saying were um, I just asked the question about how our white allies can actually become allies. And you were explaining your thought process behind that. So you can continue on if you remember where you left off. I want to make a disclaimer that I am 23. I am learning every day. I am evolving every day. My thoughts change every day. My stances change every day. But today, in this moment, I do not feel like we need allies. Um, I do not want white allies specifically. I'll be honest. That's where I am. Mm. Uh, because of the betrayal, because of the lack of 100% commitment. Um, not 99, not 
99.5, but 100%. Right. Um, and my personal experience with organizing and activism, um, I just have to be honest. Um, I think what they can do if they do want to help is donating, um, you know, giving funds to organizations, um, showing up to listen and not speak, but to listen and supporting as much as they can. How do I say this? Supporting as much as they can silently, but loudly. Let me explain that. When I say loudly, I mean with their presence, with, and even their voices. Um, And that's a little, you know, going against what, you know, I said previously, but, but silently, because we just, we need them to hear us. They've been talking for far too long. <laughs> um, but I think the biggest thing is showing up silently and donating funds. Mm. And also educating their... I would rather them to talk to their people than them to talk to me. Yeah. Yep. Um, because yep. I'm no longer educating white people on black history. I'm no longer educating white people on something that their people put my people in. That is not my responsibility um, as a black woman in this country. I think they should be, you know, educating their people. That's one, that's a, that's a way that they can help. Um, That's a way to be an ally. It may seem really minute, but that's a way. Um, So sharing knowledge with their counterparts, donating and silently, but loudly, supporting so like we don't need you in the fire with us (laughs) as we're fighting we need you in the back sorry taking care of all the stuff that your people started yeah and and we also have to have some black unity first before we can have black white unity yeah come on now come on now so let's talk about that a little bit how frustrating do you get when when people try to distract us from what's going on by saying, hey, what about all the black on black crime? That's the number okay. one distraction um, I have, ever. I have thread. Come with it. I need it. Now, okay. and, 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 and I want to say this, and I hope y'all don't get mad at me, but like Janisha said, um, she has the right to change her mind anytime she wants to. And I do feel like it's a place... I, I, I do kind of, I feel like it's a place for allies, but it's neither here nor we talk about that later. But, Janisha, how do you feel about that? Because, I mean, you know they, they come with that every time. Y'all killing each other. Listen, um, let's okay. talk about it. Whole post about it. A whole breakdown. So, proximity, dismissiveness, responsibility, and circumstance. Mm-hmm. Black on black crime is a myth and it is such a dangerous statement to make. Here's why. Number one, proximity. Black people kill black people. Chinese people kill Chinese people. White people kill white people. Same race crime is about proximity. People that commit crime are likely to do so within their own neighborhoods. And most people live in neighborhoods with people that look like them. Mm. Yep. Um, nobody's, if I'm an orange man, I'm not going to go to Bartlett or Arlington to commit a crime. Right. Um, I'm likely to do it right there in Orange Mound. Number two, dismissiveness. Phrases like black on black crime are like all lives matter. All Mm -hmm. lives matter, yes, but right now we are focusing on the black ones. Saying that black people need to stop killing ourselves first 
as a rebuttal takes the focus off of the initial topic of white people killing us. It's a tool used by the oppressors to deflect on the real issue at hand. We know that black people are killing black people, but the black on black crime argument is so dangerous because it, because it is used as a justification for white people exterminating us. Hmm. You're um, preaching. Number three, responsibility. Making this statement takes the responsibility away from white people who are doing the killing. White people feel that they don't have to be responsible for killing us because we're doing it to ourselves. When we make the black on black crime statement, we are permitting them to not take responsibility for their own atrocities against us. Last one, number four, circumstances. It's almost like the government dropped off a load of guns and drugs in the hood and and expected it to stay in the box. If you are deprived of resources, education, nutrition, and jobs, one of your choices is to participate in crime. Come on but now. this is the cause, but this is the cause for many other underserved communities, not just the black ones. So why do we only focus on black on black crime? Black people have been socially cultivated into monsters, savages, and thugs. I believe that people focus on black on black crime because it justifies us as the monsters, the savages, and the thugs. Mm. It brings justification to admit that they created. And it makes us feel and it makes them feel better to have a theory to back it up. Crime is a proponent of poverty, proximity, opportunity and the lack of resources and opportunity. So proximity, uh, dismissiveness, responsibility, circumstance are all reasons why the black on black crime is dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I just said that, you know, we were given the tools and the oppressors have hidden their hands. Yes, ma'am. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, funny. Like, hey, I you love it. You just said what the collective thinks and already knows. I love yeah. it. I love it. Listen, I got I got to do something for you one time. <laughs> I haven't. I, I've done that one time this entire Listen, show. I, I've been to a club in months. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to do it. I had to do it. It's funny you said that um, about how they dropped. The, the, the drugs they dropped the guns in on us one of my favorite quotes from one of my favorite movies Boys in the Hood comes from mm-hmm. Furious Styles Furious Styles sat outside that liquor store because when the old man came said it's these folks selling that crack rock and shit and then Furious said how do you think the rock got here how you think the drugs got here? How, why you think there's a liquor store on every corner in our neighborhood? But when you go to um, Beverly Hills, it's not one. It's not like that. So when you said that, oh, it touched my heart. Boys in the Hood. If y'all don't have seen Boys in the Hood, you can watch that too. Get, get, get you some game. But when Fury Style said that, and then when you broke it down like that, that was amazing. Speaking of that same question, I got another one kind of in that same vein. Now I'm going <laughs> back to looting. I'm kind of doubling back down a little bit. Um, what do you feel about today's infiltration in COINTELPRO? Do you think that it's still relevant today as it was um, back in the 60s when um, Dr. King and Malcolm X were marching and speaking? Do you think it's, it's, it's relevant right now? Because I'm going to tell you like this. I don't see too many people riding skateboards that look like me. But that's neither, neither here nor there. That's neither here nor there. But I want to ask you about that. Listen, um, COINTELPRO still exists. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just operates under another name. So there are absolutely 
infiltrators. They're absolutely informants. I'm from the hood, so I say ops. Come on, um, and they can't. They absolutely exist. Um, in this movement work, I'm very. I'm not going to say I don't trust people because I don't trust people, but at least in in, in this circle of work. Um, but. I'm very, I, I use my discernment. Um, you, you can tell. You, you can just tell when something is off. Mm-hmm. I'm very vigilant about how I move. I move a different way. Excuse me, I move a certain way. I move very cautiously. Um, because, you know, we, we think that these these times are over um, with COINTELPRO and informants, um, but it's not. Right. It, it, um, I definitely feel like there are a lot of infiltrators. Um, some white people, some black people. Oh, for sure. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not dismissing the blacks either. Like, is, there are black oh, yeah. people out there. Is this definitely? Um, you think they're with you? But man, like Angela Ross said, um, all your skin folk ain't your kin folk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think you have have to use your discernment and listen to your body. Um, I'm a, I'm a spiritual person, so I have a, a good relationship with my body. And anytime somebody's energy is off, anytime something isn't right, I, I, I feel a shift in my, in my gut, in my soul, in my entire, you know, demeanor. And it, it, it's never been wrong. It's never been wrong. And if you pay attention, your body will tell you. You can be completely silent, but your body will speak for you and it will tell you when something is off. So I definitely listen to that, listen to my body. Um, I use my discernment and I do a lot of research on people. So, yeah. Um, going back to the protests. The past couple of days, I have been seeing a reoccurring theme of crisis actors. Oh, yeah. That I don't even think I knew was a theme. I, I never heard of it until now. Until this week. Um, they literally, they will hire people to come um, and pretend to be protesting. And then they'll, they'll loot, they'll, you know, vandalize properties. And if you think about it, um, the man who was arrested for burning the courthouse down is a white guy. Yeah. Um, and it makes it seem like it's us because it's a black protest. So black people need this when it's really not. Um, so it's definitely a way to shift the focus from the purpose of the protest to old black people are vandalizing. Granted, there are some people that are doing these things, but there are crisis actors who are literally paid to come specifically to a protest to dress in all black and to. Oh, oh, it froze. It's all so, good. Yeah. Dude, do, do, I'll ask you a question. Do these crisis actors, they have a sad card, a screen actors guild card? Cause I mean, that's crazy to me. This is my first time hearing about a crisis actor. Yeah. This is my first time. It's crazy. Well, because and, if- that's an example of, you know, Cointel Pro, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's the new gauge Cointel Pro. I, I I see that. I didn't know. I had no clue about that. Now, staying with the protest since we're here again, let's go back to it. Um, while we said we 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 all said like the riding not cool. We don't agree with the riding. However, I do agree with pushing down those Confederate statues. I'm all about that. 
push him down. I never understood why state of Tennessee, I'm from the, I'm from Mississippi. I'm gonna keep it real. I never understood why Mississippi, Tennessee, why we why we wanna build statues of people who lost the army. Yeah, I mean, who who lost the war? Hey, dude, you flying the flag of a loser, you know you lost this shit, right? In Confederate yeah. Army. You know Buddy lost, don't you? Like, why you got his statue yeah. up? He's not a winner. Michael Jordan, he's a winner. His statue is up in front of Chicago Stadium right now. <laughs> yeah. That's a winner. Don't put a statue up of a loser. I've never seen a backup quarterback get a statue for losing a ball game. I never seen well, it. Um, going back to my legal trouble, um, the second time I was arrested was for my activism around the bust of Nathan Metaphors. If you don't know who that is, he was the first Grand Wizard of the KKK. A loser. Um, Who's all throughout Tennessee and one of those sits in the highest office in the state, which is the Tennessee State Capitol. Um, I'm currently banned from Tennessee State Capitol. I have been for like a year. I've literally not stepped foot in the Capitol in about a year um, because I've been banned from my activism around that statue. Um, I did a couple of op-eds um, with the Tennessean that got a lot of Good feedback, but also some pushback um, that I'll share with you guys. And basically, one of those was me talking to the spirit. I'm a very spiritual person again. Um, it was me talking to the spirit of Nathan Bedford Forrest as a descendant of the people that he enslaved. Um, so basically, imagine like the spirit of Nathan Bedford Forrest right here. And I'm talking to him like, yo, like you, you enslaved, you killed, you know, my great, great, great grandmother, like. Here I am. Let's talk about why you did this. And so I went into, um, you know, it's people always tell us that we have to get over slavery. We have to get over slavery. But we're reminded of slavery through artifacts, through statues, through accolades. Um, and I don't I don't see Hitler in Holocaust museums. So why do we have Nathan Bedford Forrest in Tennessee? So maybe we should replace Nathan Bedford Forrest with another Tennessean that did good work, such as Ida B. Wells. Mm -hmm. um, that's a suggestion. Um, but I don't think that that's something that they, you know, care to even change. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I definitely think that symbolism is something that we are still affected by. I know mm -hmm. I personally feel a shift in my body anytime I see a statue of Nathan Bedford Forrest. Listen. Um, it needs to go. Um, and then we even made a proposal to the governor. Um, that's one thing that we were really proud of. I was part of a, a student group that organized a month-long um, series of protests mm -hmm. last Black History Month, last February 2019. The last one, of course, ended with us being arrested, but it was really impactful because the governor has not, Governor Lee has not responded to anybody in the state of Tennessee regarding the statue of Nathan Bedford Forrest. But we made so much noise. We, we you know, did so much work. He responded to us. It wasn't the best response, but right. it was a progress. It was a small win. Um, but we basically made a proposal to him to say, hey, we're not saying dismantle this whole statue because we need to be reminded of the statue so that we won't be taken back there. So let's put it in the Tennessee State Museum. Um, let's put it in a history museum, but it does not need to be in a high place like the Tennessee State Capitol. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's ironic that the people that built the Capitol, the slaves that built the Capitol, Come on are now. not 
guys inside of the Capitol, but their murderers are, their oppressors are. Um, and I just think that's very telling. Oh man, that's amazing. That's I, I want to do this again. <laughs> I'm I'm free literally anytime. You guys have great energy. Um, oh no, I got more questions. I got one more question. I'm, I'm just saying, like I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm just saying. Girl, don't um, leave me like Black Street. Don't leave so me. I definitely have a, a one up with that. So literally, anytime y'all need me, I will definitely come back. I want to um, hug you. Thank you. Virtual, <laughs> um, love you. Yeah, I, I wish we. I love you. I wish we could have did this in person. You know, Kobe. I know. We we, we gonna know. kick this flavor in person soon. And y'all, soon. Are based, y'all are based in Nashville, right? Yeah. yeah. We normally okay. do all our guests in person. In house. We okay. started doing IG live Whatever. during the the pandemic. It's over. We definitely have to get together. Yes, for sure, for sure. You got one yeah, more? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I got like two more. Actually, I got like two more. So I gotta ask this too, because now I'm getting into politics a little bit. Um, do you have a future in politics, or would no. you like? Okay, there it is. No. Straight up, straight up. All right, cool. <laughs> okay, you said you were a political <laughs> science. You said you were political you science. Cannot, so you, you so, cannot be a revolutionary and a politician because the two are a conflict of interest, which is why I left with. Which is why I left my posi- both of my positions with the Tennessee um, Democratic Party, um, and I had about a year left in my position. Um, I wanted to finish the duration, but I had to be true um, to myself, and I could not betray, you know, what my spirit was telling me, and I just had to go. But um, we have this obsession with representation, like. We need black faces in high places, and we don't. Um, I personally do not want to sit at anybody else's table. I want to make mine from scratch. So I don't want to sit at the table with people who have a hand in oppressing us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, somebody posted. I did. Um, I posted my res- resignation letter, and I, I just included that I can't be a part of a system that has a hand in my oppression. It's, it's a conflict of interest. Those definitely. Um, at some point, now there are great people. Um, Tammy Sawyer, who's a commissioner in um, in in Memphis, um, Doctor West, who I think he was a councilman in Charlottesville, Virginia. There are people who have activism backgrounds that went on to run for office that have still remained true to themselves. But those who are very rare, mm-hmm. um, at some point, you do have to compromise yourself. Um, at some point, at some point, and I'm just not willing to make that compromise. I like that. And I feel like I'm a little too blunt and a little too controversial <laughs> um, to run for office, to win office. Um, I believe in myself. I know that I could, you know, win a seat, but I just are too. Got my vote, most definitely. Got yeah. I had a question, too, about that. Well, I was going to say, so at this point, how do you feel about the black vote? Because at this point, who we're looking at as far as, like, candidates and <laughs> all those things, yeah, you I know. Y'all the controversy <laughs> people. Most, uh, questions. Um, I, disclaimer, I have to make so many, dis- if you Google my name, there are so many articles of people twisting my words and so i have to be really careful with what i say and i have to make disclaimers disclaimer people i am pro voting i'm pro voting 
local and statewide voting is the most important. Mm -hmm. I do vote federally, um, but I am pro-voting. Let me say that. But I do not believe in voting against your integrity. I don't believe in betraying your morals for the sake of winning. There's this conversation, Trump versus Biden. Um, Who are we going to pick? I do not... I do not believe in choosing the lesser of an evil because it's still an evil. Um, so where does that leave me and my integrity? Um, I sleep very good at night and I want to continue to sleep very good at night. Um, this work is my passion. I live, breathe, eat, all things activism. Um, and so it is a big deal to me. A lot of people say, well, it's not a big deal. Um, and I will lose sleep over voting for somebody that I do not believe in. Mm. Um, in my opinion, policy-wise, Trump and Biden are the same person. Um, I think that we give Joe Biden too much credit. Come on, man. The reason why Trump is seen as a monster and Joe Biden isn't is because of the packaging. You look at Biden, you see a very conservative, clean-cut white man. You look at Trump, his hair is all over his his head, like he, you know, he, he's all <laughs> up the place, crazy stuff. And um, I think it's I think it's the packaging, but Biden and Trump are very similar. They are very similar. If you look at them, um, we can even just look at the crime bill of 1994, for example. Um, that was Joe Biden, you know, and black people are still being affected by that bill mm. to this very day. That was what? 25 years ago? Exactly, yeah. Um, People still incarcerated about that right now. Yep. A great resource. Why I Won't Vote by W.E.B. Du Bois. Um, if I can pull it up really quickly. Go ahead. I got um, I got time. I can talk through it. I, I made some really controversial um, tweets about not voting. Um, I want to say that I am undecided for the sake for the sake of um, respectability, but I have to be obedient in this moment, and I am not going to vote in the the twenty twenty election. Listen, do you? Um, this is all about you right now. This interview is all about you. And you know there are other ballots on within that ballot. You don't just vote for the president. Um, right. 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 Um, so I will be voting, but that part, I will not vote, um, for that part. And hold on, why I won't vote. No, it's all good. So, um, I want, I I had another question too, why you find that, but go ahead and find it. Yeah, my, my spirit, my, my political choices are spiritual. So Mm -hmm. anything that I make, um, is a spiritual choice as well. And so I'll read a little bit of W.E.B. Du Bois, why. I won't vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he calls it a phony election because it's like the country already picks the president. And we can get into that, you know, a little bit later. That's a very lengthy conversation. But oh, it definitely I, is. Hey, on Twitter, like we need to talk about abolishing the electoral college, too, because when you think about it, Hillary Clinton should technically be the president right now, given the popular vote. Um, but. Obviously, the Electoral College and the voting, um, it ended up Trump being the candidate. For sure. So. Most definitely. Now you're good. 
You're fine. Okay, so it says, okay, I'm trying to get a direct quote from him. No, you're good. Keep reading. Because I, like I said, I had a question that I wanted to propose to you while you read over that. And I want you to think about this question, Sue. How do you feel about, how do you feel about um, politicians coming out to protest um, and using it for their political gain versus um, being at the um, protest, having a real voice and wanting to see real change. No, and I'll call out um, a few people. Um, Mayor Cooper and I had words. Um, Senator um, Brenda Gilmore, um, Councilwoman Erica, Cooper, Erica Gilmore, um, the Coopers, the... Who else was at that protest? Those are only a few people. Um, I just... Let me say this. Mm -hmm. There are three people that do not need to be at protests. It's white people. That's coons. And that is politicians. Come on now. Because why are you here? Um, There were a few people... Out of respect, I won't name um, protest that you know when you speak, if you have something typed, okay, whatever. Um, that was a red flag to me. Um, but number two, it's just like this is not, and I, I had to, I don't think my full speech was recorded, but I had to circle back and I had to remind people. Why we are here. Yes. All lives matter. You have people saying, oh, I'm running for this seat, this year, this date. And I have to remind people the purpose of this protest. We are here for George. George Floyd, baby. We're here for Ahmad and all the other ancestors. So, like, I poured libations in honor for them because why are we talking about... It seems like politicians come to protest to elevate their political agenda for a PR stunt. Cooper came and took pictures and it's like, why are you here? And then when he got up there to speak, he said that he won't defund the police. We need a police force in his words. And so why are we having people that have a conflict of interest to our protest at our protest? Mm-hmm. And so I just don't get it. And then he, it was 6,000 people in the crowd. He came in the middle of the crowd with security like he was Malcolm X. I just, I didn't, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> just like, it's not the vibe. Like, and somebody said, protesting their campaigning. So, Mayor Cooper, stay at home. You know, Senator Gilmore, stay at home. Like, we don't need you there. And I'll be honest, we don't want you there. Come on um, now. And okay. I'm there in, in fight with that. Um, so, before, before we get into the next thing, I want to, say this about why we won't vote by W.E.B. Du Bois. Um, this was October the 20th, 1956. Mm. So he delivered um, an indictment of U.S. politics while explaining to nation readers why he would not vote in the upcoming presidential election. Oh, I hope we have enough time for this. I'm only going to read one paragraph. Go ahead. You got it. We got time. Okay. It's my podcast. This, <laughs> this is in his words. Since I was 21... In 1889, I have in theory followed the voting plan strongly. Voting for a third party, even when its chances were hopeless, if the main parties were unsatisfactory or an absence of the third choice, 
Voting for the lesser of two evils is still an evil. My action had to be limited by the candidate's attitude towards Negroes. So he does a breakdown of every election that he's ever voted in. Mm. I, I lived in the North for 32 years, covering eight presidential elections. In 1912, I wanted to support Theodore Roosevelt, but his moves convention dodged the Negro problem, and I tried to help elect Wilson as a Southern liberal. Under Wilson came the worst attempt at Jim Crow legislation and service that we experienced since the Civil War. In 1916, I took Hughes as the lesser of two evils. Mm. He promised Negroes nothing and kept his word. In 1920, I supported Harding because of his promise to liberate Haiti. In 1924, I voted for La, for La Follette, although I knew he could not be elected. In 1928, Negroes faced absolute dilemma. Neither Hoover nor Smith wanted the Negro vote and both publicly insulted us. I voted for Norman Thomas and the Socialists, although the Socialists had attempted Jim Crow Negro members in the South. In 1932, I voted for Franklin Roosevelt. Since Hoover was unthinkable and Roosevelt's attitude towards workers was more realistic. I was again in the South from 1934 until 1944. Technically, I could vote, but the election in which I could vote was a farce. The real election was the white primary. In 1944, I returned to the North and found a party to my liking. In 1948, I voted for the progressive ticket for Henry Rollins, and in 1952 for Vincent Hallam. In 1956, I will not go to the polls. I have not registered. I believe that democracy has so far disappeared in the United States that no two evils exist. Mm. There is but one evil party with two names, and it will be elected despite anything that I can say or do. There is no third party. Mm-hmm. On the presidential ballot in the few states, a socialist party will appear. Few will hear its appeal because it will have almost no opportunity to even take part in the campaign to explain. Um, now you nailed it. That was great. Uh, that I'm was- trying to get the... Okay, so is the answer... This is the last paragraph. Go ahead. It's the election of 1956. We can make a sick man president and set him to a job which would strain a man in robust health. So he dies and what does that get us? Mike With Pence. Nixon and Nixon <laughs> and Eisenhower and Eastland. We, were saying, we remain in the same mess. I will be no party to it and that it will make a little difference. You will take part and briefly march to the polls but that will make no difference either. Stop running Russia and giving Chinese advice when we cannot rule ourselves anyway. Stop yelling about a democracy that we do not have. Democracy is dead in the United States, yet there is nothing to even replace the real democracy. Drop the chains, then bind our brains. Drive the money changers from the seats of the cabinet and the halls of Congress. Call back some fake spirit of Jefferson and Lincoln, and when again we we can hold a fair election on issues I'll vote. Let's not vote until then. Then democracy in America is impossible. So that's a really long way. Send that, send that to us too, because everybody wants to know about that. Send that to me, <laughs> and I'm going to post that too. Let me tell you, 
W.E.B. Du Bois is amazing. That is all his words. Nothing that I said was for me. He did a breakdown of every election that he ever voted in. That was dope. Twelve, And finally, in 1956, he said no more. That was dope. Not a candidate to choose from. He didn't want to choose the lesser of an evil. Um, so, so that explains my sentiments on the 2020 election. You know what Joe Biden going to tell you, Janisha? If Joe Biden heard you say that, he would say, you ain't black. <laughs> He would tell you straight up, you ain't black. Joe Biden ain't black. How about that? <laughs> he is oh, not. Joe said, you don't vote for me. You ain't black, cuz. He's not. I need your black vote because I rock with Obama. Now, somebody <laughs> somebody asked, why shouldn't white people protest? I think it was coming from a white person, but we did speak. We spoke about yeah, we that. We did speak on it. On the first hour of the live. We two hours deep? Yeah. Go back? So... The first hour of the live is on my page. Go back and look at that because she does break down why she feels that white people don't belong in these protests. And the short answer is just simply because it's not your fight. Yeah. But go back and check it out. It's going to be up tomorrow. Or you can see it right now. No, I'm sorry. I was confused. <laughs> Indy posted on her page already. You can go check that. But first yeah, the hour first out. hour is on my page, so go back and check check, check it out. And then look, share with a friend, tell a friend, and tell a friend to tune the hell on in. Uh, I think I got one more question for you though, and it kind of stems along those same election lines. Uh, well, two things. I know this doesn't surprise anybody, but how did you feel? And everybody else can answer this too. But how did y'all feel when um your boy DT talking about when the looting starts, the shooting starts? Um, like we have a person in office who is definitely all a, a white supremacist, you know what I mean, to say the least. I think he just gave permission, not that they needed permission, to police officers and the military and the National Guard to basically shoot black people for mm-hmm. looting. Because the blame is being put on us. Um, as I said before, they are the real looters, you know? Um, we can get items back. We cannot get a life back. Um, so I really don't care about looting. And it's just funny how people care more about looting than murders. Yep. Um, people who, who are being murdered. So Trump is just... I don't even want to talk about him because he's just so ignorant. If you look at a transcript from... Any of his speeches, it's just, it's like a, a two-year-old. He, he's definitely ill-equipped. He doesn't have the tools, you know, to hold the presidency. The presidency is a joke now because of him. Um, Most definitely, Eric. Yeah. Yeah, he, he for sure. Eric just said he, he gave permission to rage war on our people. He most he definitely did. did that. And then when... The, um. For every action, there's a reaction. That's why I told people, like, the reaction to racism was the protest and the looting, or you can call it whatever, but the it was all a part of the uh, of the underlying base, and like I keep going back to it, it's racism. We just got to call it what it is, so um, I hate to see it, and I think, you got another question? I got one more question, I'm done. Yeah, I let Miss Janisha Harris go ahead and have a good night. I think I had a thought, but go ahead, because I lost it. <laughs> if, it comes, if it comes back to me, it was meant for me to stay, so go ahead. Most definitely. So, um, well, my last two, I think, do you think there will be real arrest and real justice done for the murderers of George Floyd? No. Um, 
justice for a lot of people looks differently. Um, for me, justice is not the arrest of the people who had a part in his death, George Floyd. To me, justice is dismantling the system that allowed them to do that. Mm. Um, because Zimmerman was arrested. He got off. Cousin Jill right now for a DUI. Homeboys. Do what you gotta yeah. do. Um, a lot of people are arrested at first. They just don't face conviction. So I don't even want a conviction. Justice to me is abolishing the systems that allow them to even feel free to do something like that. Yes. Um, I think we are okay with temporary fixes. A conviction is a temporary fix. Mm -hmm. Being arrested is a temporary fix. Um, abolishing that system that requires a temporary fix is long-term. Um, we have to put more energy and organizing and mobilizing into abolishing and reforming these systems, not making them, or not reforming, completely like tearing them down. Mm -hmm. uh, because if we, I feel like, I use this example often. If you have a wine glass and you break it, you drop it on the, on the concrete, it's broken, right? Mm -hmm. So right. we've been slowly piecing back together this wine glass with organizations, with policies, with black people, with black elected officials, piece by piece by piece. And we wonder why when we take a sip, it's leaking because mm -hmm. it's broken. We need a whole new glass. So that, that's the same with this country. We need a new system. We cannot operate. We cannot be free in a broken system because it's broken. We need to dismantle the whole thing Start from scratch, rewrite the constitution, um, create a new constitution, create new um, community policing instead of police forces. We need rehabilitation instead of prisons. Um, and we basically need to start from scratch because that's the only way. And I do mean the only way that we will ever be free. Because right now we're trying to incorporate ourselves into a system that doesn't want us, that, that, that was not created for us. And we're wondering, like, why? Why, why don't you want me? Um, why, am I, why, am I, why am I not included? And it's like, this wasn't even for you. Hmm. When, the, when the forefathers were writing this down, they didn't have you in mind. Hmm. Girl, you speak. That girl is preaching. Um, they didn't have you in mind. So why do you expect them to now want to include you? Hmm. We can't incorporate ourselves into something that's already been cultivated for another people. Same with the same with the broken wine glass. Right. Um. You can't you can't piece it back together. We have to get a new one. There it is. There it is. So, but I think that's a hell of a note to end on. Yeah. I think that I was think like that was I good. think you nailed it. <laughs> I, I don't I don't even want to go any further because that was a dismount right there. That's <laughs> what I I love it. So, India, well, go ahead. Thank you. You are wise beyond your years. <laughs> And we are just so appreciative because I, I I can see who's on here and there are people twice your age that are on here getting this knowledge from you. So thank you for the work that you're doing in our communities. We appreciate you. Then I'm going to say this too. Age doesn't necessarily, maturity doesn't come with age. You know what I mean? Nope. So you are 
like I said, I'm following you wherever you need to be followed. You let me know, we pulling up together. You yeah. know what I mean? So thank you for all of this knowledge. And um, I'm pretty sure you're going to send me everything, the book list, the um, W.E.B. Du Bois, all of that. We need all of that to share. Documentaries. It, yes. it, it, it's not just white people that want the information. We need the information. Oh, yeah. We got a lot of reading to do. We got to catch yeah. up, too. So I appreciate you for everything that you're doing. And next time we do this, we're going to be doing this in person. All right? Absolutely. In a real and way. I, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate this space. Yeah. Um, a, a, a very um, controversial um, person within my activism. And so I, I, I feel so safe. Um, on this platform. So I want to thank you guys for making space for me um, and allowing me to be myself. Um, I love to see black love. You guys are beautiful together. I love to see my girl. Hey, she's my girl. Look at my girl. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I love it. So yeah. Um, any way that I can support the podcast, please let me know. Um, I'll definitely be um, reposting this this live and just supporting in general from now on. Now that I know about you guys, oh, most definitely. Listen, this is this is the support we need. We gotta support each other. Yeah, you being on here was all the support that I needed, and I'm gonna support you in every way that I can. No doubt. Like from here on out, like like you said, we we linked now. We fam. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So this from Orange Bell. We really <laughs> for real. Oh my for real. god, he don't know. He don't know how deep it is. I love Memphis girls, but I got one though. I got one. I'm I, done. I, I, I end on a quick um, historic piece of Orange Mound. Please. Um, a lot of people don't know that Orange Mound is a literal plantation. Um, I grew up on Marshall Street, which is off Dedrick. Um, Dedrick was named after um, the plantation owner, so the the slave master. His name was Dedrick. And that's why the, the street is named Dedrick. I don't know if you know if there there's a, a white house on the left side, which was the house that he owned. Um, his favorite fruit was oranges. So he used to make the, the slaves plant oranges and he would eat them just like crazy. And that's where Orange Mound got its name from. Wow. And so um, Orange Mound is a very historic place. It's a literal plantation. Yeah, he's just my girl. Uh, yeah, it's a... Yeah, watch my thing up. Um, it's it's a literal plantation, um, so that that's a, a little history, you know. Watch my had didn't, no clue. <laughs> I think I'm from Mississippi, by the way. I just want to say that again. Didn't just, you <laughs> didn't you have a tweet that went viral like a couple months ago on Orange Mail? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought it was you. I thought it was you, but that was that was my first time learning that history is yeah. when I saw that tweet come by. Yeah, it's so historic. That's dope. Well, listen, Janisha, I want you to do me a favor and tell the people where they can find you to follow you, to see all your tweets, to hear all you, just hear you speak, whatever. I want you to tell them right now where to find yeah. you. Yeah, so my Instagram is Harris on Instagram. Um, that's J-E-N-E-I-S-H-A dot Harris. I am Janisha C. Harris on Twitter, Janisha Harris on Facebook, and my website is www.com. 
JanishaHarris.com. And it's pinned at the bottom, too, so y'all can see it at the bottom. I pinned it right there so y'all can go check my girl out. So in the meantime and in between time, man, thank everybody for listening. Janisha, gratitude is always my attitude. Thank you for showing up and dropping this knowledge on us. We definitely appreciate it. We love you, sister, and um, can't wait to link up with you soon. So in the words of every she and our podcast, I got to end like this. It's been real. It's been fun. She, she, she I, 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 I